listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. All right, let's jump into the book of Daniel. Um, and as we do that, if, if you're already there in Daniel 12, then uh, good job. I'm actually going to be in Revelation. I want to I start in Revelation chapter 12. I want us to see something. Uh, before we do that, here's what I want us to see. And we've seen this all throughout Daniel. Jennifer, you can roll those couple of videos. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, me and my oldest son, Axel, who's right here in the yellow and black and brown jacket, we went to Moab, Utah. And uh, my brother, I think that's my brother. Yeah, my brother, Matt. I was trying to think who was driving. My brother, Matt's driving uh, that Ford Bronco right there. And uh, this was a... a a Ford experience, and so we were, they were teaching us how to off-road and that kind of thing. But if you see Matt right here, he's about to go up this about three-and-a-half-foot uh, rock, and Axel and Matthew, uh, Matt, the chosen one, <laughs> if you all know my family history, uh, that's, my, that's my brother. He's eight-and-a-half years younger than me. He got anything he wanted um, except discipline. So, um, so he's driving that Bronco right there, so he can't see the rock that's in front of him. Only Axel can see the path that he's on. And so he's completely relying on Axel to tell him which way to go. And that's why Axel is making the hand signals. He was successful. Axel, happy. Okay? On this next video, this is the one that I'm driving. If you see the rocks here, it would be relatively easy for the vehicle to roll off one side or the other and for it to tip over. Again, Axel is directing us. I can't see the rocks. I've got down and looked at them. But without someone standing there saying, go left, go right, guiding me, directing me toward that path, it would have ended very poorly for us. Thankfully, we had a good path. And uh, I don't have quite the driving skills of my dad. If you know him, he's the best. Um, but Axel did a great job. Here's why I say that. It's because as we look at the book of Daniel, we don't know exactly what's happening in front of us. We don't know what the future holds, but we have someone who does. And so we don't have to know the future. Anybody, would you love to know the future? Absolutely. If I knew the future, I would know which team to um, invest in for March Madness. But we don't know the future. We don't have to know the future because we know the one who holds the future and is in perfect control of the future. And so that's what we've seen all throughout the book of Daniel. The other thing we've seen, if you look at Revelation chapter 12, there has been this ongoing battle ever since Satan, the evil one, declared war on God, the one who created all things. And ever since that time, there has been an ongoing battle between the forces of evil and the forces of good, between darkness and light. And as we've seen throughout the book, and as we see throughout the scriptures, the Bible is not a story of what happened. It's the story of what always happens. And so even as we find ourselves today on March 19th, of 2023, we are still in the midst of this battle. It looks a little bit different today, but the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Antichrist, is still just as active today as it was then. And so we can look back at Daniel. We find ourselves right here, but I want us to see in Revelation, looking at the future, this battle is happening. Even though we can't see it, it's there, and we know it's there. We feel the effects of it because that which happens in the spiritual realm has implications and has its uh, tentacles and its effect expressed in the physical realm. So here's what we see in Revelation chapter 12. 
And this is in the future. This is how we, and this, this battle is still here. But in, in Revelation 12, I'll look at a few verses. Verse 7, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. That's Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, talking about the enemy, talking about Satan. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So like we just saying, we're in the middle of this battle, but we know how it ends but we continue to fight. We continue to remain faithful. That's the backdrop of what's happening in the book of Daniel. And so as we compare, well, how does this apply to my life today? Understand we are all battling, fighting, striving, but our hope, just like Daniel, is in Jesus Christ. Daniel was looking forward to his first coming. We're looking back at his first coming and looking forward to his second coming. So that's our hope. That's all we have. That's it. So as we look at the book of Daniel today, our goal is not to look at all the details and all the minutiae and try to figure out what all the numbers mean and exactly when. We don't have to know the when because we know the who. So let's look at the book of Daniel chapter 12. I want us to see it's broken down, I think, pretty nicely. If you read most any commentator, uh, linguist, devotional, it's broken down pretty nicely into five sections. So I broke these down for us. We're going to walk slowly through this chapter, and then I want us to see at the end kind of uh, put an end cap on the book of Daniel. So today we're finishing Daniel. Uh, so Daniel chapter 12. Here's the first thing I want to see in verse number one is that God rescues the troubled. God rescues the troubled. And maybe you're like, like Lane just prayed a minute ago. We, we come in here with a variety of burdens or concerns or sin or weight or trauma, something that we are in the middle of or something that's been done to us. And we're going to see how there is hope even for us in the middle of that this morning. This is for you. Verse number one. And this is actually real quick. I know last week my dad's sermon was, um, it, he flew through chapter 11 because there's 45, 45 verses in chapter 11. It was a lot to cover. But just know the main point of that is we've, Daniel set this vision up in chapter 10. He says, God, please. He prays. He says, I'm grieving here for my people. Can you give me a vision of what's going to happen? So Daniel, uh, chapter 10 sets that up. Last week, chapter 11, this historical significance, a reminder that God is in complete control, even of the details. Then we get right here to the very end of this vision. So the first four verses are the end. They could have been kind of lumped in with chapter 11. And then we'll see kind of the conclusion to this, this vision. So he says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. There shall be a time of what? Let's say it together, a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. They shall be what? Delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. We are going to be rescued I'll take that back. We're going to make it through trouble. When trouble is in front of us, we're either going to go through it and experience the effects of it. We're going to go around it. We're going to avoid it as best we can, or we're going to be delivered from it eternally because of Jesus Christ. 
So the trouble is going to happen. So as he talks about here, this time of trouble, never in history has there been a time of such suffering. So as he's looking here to this time when Christ is about to return, we have this time of trouble that the people of God are experiencing like no other time. I know for some of us, we sit around, it's like, man, I can't believe my team lost. I can't believe this politician was elected. I can't believe the cost of fill in the blank. I can't believe my wife did this. And we're like, man, I am incredibly troubled. Those things are troubles. Absolutely, they are. But here we have Daniel saying, there's a time you don't even know trouble. You don't understand how much trouble this is for the people of God. It's going to get way worse before it gets better. That's the message of the book of Daniel. But we notice here in verse number one, we have this spiritual activity. We, we can't divorce the spiritual activity from the fact that the increased trouble is there. So as trouble increases, and we saw this in chapter 10 uh, really plainly, as the trouble and the distress increases, so increases the activity in the spiritual realm that's being made manifest in the physical realm, okay? So hang in there with me for a second. In this, so we have Daniel 12 right here in the center. We have a ditch on either side. Ditch number one, what we like to do is we like to pretend there is no spiritual realm. Everything is just physical. And it's like, ah, let's not get too much into that because we can't see it. We don't know what's happening. We, yeah, we, we can't know for sure. That's one ditch. The ditch on the other side is, yeah, man, the devil made me do it. The devil's just tempting me. It's the devil's fault. I sat with a guy a couple weeks ago. He blamed everything in his life on everybody else. And finally, he got down to the devil. And I was just like, well, we started with, Paul says we've got the world, the flesh, and the devil. I was like, it may just be the world and the flesh, okay? So most of our problems come from those two things, the world and the flesh. But the devil is very real. But we can't fall into a ditch on either side. We need to know, though, that angels are real, that demons are real, that angels are here to minister to God's people. Angels are here to attack and to hinder God's mission through his people. We should be on guard. But we know that God is going to deliver. We see right here the end of this verse. He talks about here the book, this book of life. It's referenced in Exodus chapter 32. David talks about it in Psalm chapter 69. This is the book where your name is written if you are a child of God. So we saw before the book talking about the revelation of the things that are to come. This book, as he's talking about it here, he says, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's the book that he's referring to here. So friend, listen, whatever the world throws at you, whatever it throws, and we can look at Daniel, the world, look at chapter one, the world throws a ton of stuff at Daniel. He's taken away from his family. He's made to be the servant of a pagan king who he doesn't like. He's castrated. He's put on a, on a, a vegan diet. Like that's even, like I'm getting worse and worse as we go through these, right? He's put on this vegan diet. He doesn't want to do any of these things. But what does he do? My hope is still in God. It's still in him alone. Whatever the world throws at you, however it takes your name and drags it through the mud, whatever the world says about you that your name is scum, that you are nothing, your name is written in the book of life. That's our hope. Regardless of what the world says about you, good or bad, it pales in comparison to your name being written in the book of life. This afternoon, we got any NASCAR fans in here? NASCAR fans? Two. And I'm related to them. All right, next point. Uh, I'm just kidding. 
I'm glad y'all are NASCAR fans. And because of y'all, my boys are NASCAR fans, okay? Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. But uh, so my, my parents, they, uh, their condo is currently at the racetrack. And so we got some tickets to go see the race this afternoon uh, there at the condo. And if you want to go with me, that's awesome. Uh, you're welcome to go. But thankfully, nobody does. So that's cool. I don't really care for NASCAR. It's a bunch of left turns. Uh, but we're going for free. So that's why we're going. My boys like it. I'm sure it'll be awesome. But when I show up there, I have to say my name is on the reservation list. Because if you go with me, and if, if Robert goes with me, and I say, hey, here's my, here's my friend Robert. Uh, they're going to say, okay, what's his last name? Uh, Goodman. Okay, is he on the, he's, is he on the list? There's a difference between me and Robert. There are a lot of differences between me and Robert. Mostly, he's a real nice guy, okay? So there's that, for starters. But they're going to look at the list of names that are there in the book of who can get into the race and who can't, who has a ticket and who doesn't. And they're going to say, Michael, you can get into the race. Your name is in our book. Robert, sorry, you can't get in. There's no in-between at that moment. Either your name is written down, you have a reservation, or you don't. Those are the options. So he says, for those whose names are written in the book, you shall be saved, you shall be rescued, you shall be delivered. Secondly, we see these next two verses. We're gonna see that God raises the dead. Verses two and three. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. We notice the distinction here, again, whose names are written in the book of life and those who are not. Those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. It says when, when you are raised back from the dead, it's not just a resurrection day, but it's also a separation day. Those who, and you're like, okay, so where do you go when you die now? Do you, man, I don't know. I wish Daniel told us. My, my favorite answer to every single question I've been asked about the book of Daniel is, I don't know. And you're like, but don't, you, don't we pay you for that? Probably. So what does that mean? I don't know. Don't, don't, don't go down that road too far, okay? But I, I don't know exactly know all the details of what he's talking about here. But I know this, is that when we are raised, there will be a second resurrection. Christ was raised one time. And secondly, those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous, there will be a separation day. Those who are righteous are going to go to everlasting life. Those who are unrighteous those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. If your faith is in anything else, anything else, what your last name is, where you were raised, how many times you went to church, if you were baptized or not, how many good works you have, if they outweigh your bad works, how much money you gave, whatever it is, what people say about you, unless it's in Jesus Christ, unless your faith is in his finished work, you will be eternally separated from him. Revelation chapter 20 says this. This will be on the screen so we don't have to turn there. Revelation 20 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 19. There's a curse that we are all under because of sin. We feel it. We sense it. We see it. We know it. We've experienced it this morning in our sinfulness. Like Stella Grace wrote in her, it's because of Adam that she's a sinner. And the same is true for every single person in this room. That's it. On your own, you are unrighteous. And there are two 
ramifications, two um, results of that, two effects of the fall. One is physical. We experience that. We all die a physical death. The second one is spiritual. We are going to die a spiritual death, eternal separation from God. So it says here, there is a second, uh, there's a second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire. Two options. That's it. There's no purgatory. There's no, oh man, I made a mistake. Let me go see if I can earn it back. No. Two options. Revelation chapter 14 says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So we see here that God raises the dead, and then those souls go one of two places. Look at verse number 10, sorry, verse number 10. Verse number three with me, if you would. And those who are wise, and we see the distinction here, we'll talk about it in just a second. Those who are wise, he is here continuing this analogy of, Uh, righteous and unrighteous with wise and foolish. So he says, those who are wise are going to shine like the stars in the heaven. In other words, he's saying, this is where I was getting that 10 from, from Romans chapter 10. How are those who are unrighteous, how are those who are in sin separated from God, how are they going to know about the finished work of Jesus? By us. Friends, those who are in Christ This is a call to evangelism. This is a call to soul winning. This is a call to declaring, to proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done. You want to be an all-star on Jesus' team? Or do you just want to barely make it, you know, ride the bench? It's like, whew, I made it. All right, cool. I made it. I slipped into heaven. I'm not going to have like a real nice house, a real nice mansion, but I'm just here. Like, you know, in the, in the, uh, in this like, um, this, this subdivision where all the house, you know, these, these real small houses, but at least I made it into heaven. You know, whew, I scraped. No. He says, this is who you were made to be. We're, we're called to proclaim what Christ has done. And not just those who have the gift of evangelism, but for all of us. If you are righteous, if you are wise, then you will proclaim. Here's what Christ has done. So God raises the, de- the dead. Thirdly, God rules the future. Look at verses four through nine. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end of the end, sorry, until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked. So that's the end of the vision there, okay? Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, this is Jesus. Remember, this is a Christophany. Jesus is there. So someone asked him, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, What shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Okay, so let's break this down. So we get the end of the vision, and then we get Daniel like, uh, he's scratching his head. Uh, Like, uh, can can you help me out with the interpretation here? Notice in verse number four. Let's go back and walk through this. But Daniel, uh, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. 
He's not saying to hide the words, don't tell anybody about them. But literally the Hebrew there means to protect these words so that these words can be preserved. Why? Look at the end of verse number four. Many shall run to and fro. They're looking for different things. They're, they're creating these divisions, these dissensions. They're creating war. He said, but the knowledge shall increase. As we enter into the time of the end, there's going to be a greater, a growing necessity for us knowing the word of God. Knowledge must increase. We have to, we're going to cling to something. And as we become more sporadic and more spastic in the things that we hear and the things that we run to, he's saying your knowledge of God's word, sealing the book, it must increase. We must draw near, as James chapter four says, draw near to God. And he promises to draw near to us. So our knowledge must increase. Verse number five. We saw this is Jesus standing here. Verse number six. Daniel asked this question. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? How long shall it be? When he talks about wonders here, he's talking about the time of the trial and the suffering of these people because we see even in the response of verse number seven, he talks about how the people were being shattered. Now, a couple of different options here. We have Antiochus Epiphanes, who uh, we, we talked about some last week. We talked about it for the past few weeks who's going to be hitting the scene in a couple hundred years from Daniel. But I don't think he's there talking about Antiochus Epiphanes as, he much, as much as he is about the Antichrist. Because even with Antiochus Epiphanes, we see the destruction of the temple. We see uh, a great massacre of the Jewish people. But we don't see them really being shattered like we're going to see them at the end of time. So I think right here in verse number seven, he's talking about the Antichrist who is coming. So Daniel says, what about these wonders? What does this mean? And then look at verse number seven. I heard the man clothed in linen. He raised his right hand. He raised his left hand. Essentially what he's doing, if you look back at the Old Testament, look at Leviticus, he's making an oath. It's similar to us. If you go into court, place your hand on the Bible, what do you do? Raise your right hand. This is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Same idea here. He's raising both of his hands. He's saying, I'm going to make an oath. Here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is true. Friends, there is going to come a point in history when the Antichrist hits the scene, when it seems like darkness has won, when it seems like the Antichrist is going to rule forever, and when it seems like the church is obliterated. In fact, if you look at the Antichrist, if you look at the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is nothing but a counterfeit Jesus. That word anti can mean against or it can mean a replacement of the Christ. And so when the Antichrist comes, He's the son. He is a son. Just like Jesus, the son of God, he's the son of the devil. He is going to rule and reign from a throne with authority. In fact, he's going to be killed and come back to life three days later, just like Christ did. This is it's meant to draw people and to lead them astray. It's going to be about as bad as it can be. It's going to seem like darkness has won. And so notice what, how Daniel responds. Verse number eight, I heard, but I did not understand. So some of, us, some of us, we want to end with verse number seven and say, okay, so what do these things mean? What's the time and the time and the half of times? What is this three and a half? Uh, man, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, Daniel, can you give us an answer since you saw all this? It's like, you're probably a whole lot smarter than me. <clears throat> uh, it doesn't take much, I guarantee you. But if you ever sat like in a, like in a I remember sitting in trig class when I was in high school, uh, trigonometry. And, uh, you know, your teacher explains something. And 
they get done explaining it and you say, ah, man, this doesn't make sense. Uh, can, you, can you re-explain that? And then they do. And they explain it again. Daniel's sitting here, he's heard the explanation a few times and he's still just like, okay, still don't get it. Let's move on, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't understand. I just wanna be done with this book. I just wanna finish, okay, we're done, the end. He's, he's just get. maybe a better um, illustration this would be husbands, okay? Uh, your wife, you walk in and she's sitting there with a look on her face. Hey, babe, what's wrong? And then she explains it to you. And you're just like, all right, uh, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta go to the auto parts store or something. You know what I mean? Like, you still don't get it. You're just like, I heard you, I listened. Okay, cool, I'm glad you know what's going on. We don't have to know all the details because we know Jesus and he knows exactly what's going on. That's what we see here in these verses. Verse number 10. So we're getting to the end of this chapter. So we know that God has all those things in control. The third thing that I want to see is that God redeems the wise. Sorry, the fourth thing is that God redeems the wise. Look at verses 10 through 12. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the, burnt, the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th days. Now we're getting to some good stuff, right? Y'all ready to hear what this means? Three words. I don't know. <laughs> That's it. I don't know. But here's what we do know is that Daniel continues with this. He says there's a difference between the wise and the wicked. The wise and the wicked. He sees here, we see here in verse number 10, not only does the body get dirty, but so does the soul. So does the soul. Because of our sinfulness, we are marred. So he's not talking here about many shall purify themselves. He's not going, talking about going and taking a bath, washing your face. He's talking about confessing your sin, confessing your trespasses, confessing your wrongness, confessing your false idols, confessing the things that you've put your faith in that are not Jesus. So it's not going to work. He's saying, get rid of those things. Purify yourself to be made white, and he makes themselves white and refined. Those are those who are, are righteous, and we see it contrasted, but the wicked shall act wickedly. The wicked shall act wickedly. Our sin affects us in ways that we sense, that we feel, that we know, and it leads us into shame. We want to cover that up. We want to make sure that nobody sees that. We want to make sense of it. It leads us into grief. We want to take the things that, the, the ways that we have hurt others or the sins that we step into or commit and the ways that we've been hurt. The things that are done by us and those things that are done to us. And we try to set them over here. And we think that if we put them in the basement of our hearts or of our lives, that we're not going to have to deal with those things, right? Right? As long as nobody knows about it, as long as nobody sees it, as long as I don't have to tell anybody about it. And what is that pain? What is that suffering? What does it do while it's in the basement of our hearts? It gets covered in this dust of shame. So we don't bring it into the light and deal with it. So we can't 
be purified. We can't be made white. But he says here, those who know, those who understand, they are gonna bring those things into the light. First John chapter one and verse number eight, if we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's going to cleanse us from the things that we've done and the things that have been done to us, by us and to us. He is faithful. It is his justice. So we see that in verse number 10. Many are going to be purified. Look at verse number 11. He talks here about the regular burnt offering being taken away. Now, some could relate this to Antiochus Epiphanes a couple hundred years later, the Antichrist. The answer to both of those is yes. The regular burnt offering is taken away by both of these. Uh, if you look there at verse number 11 and then uh, verse number 12, we have these two numbers, 1290 and 1335. Now, again, we don't know exactly. If we, if we knew when this time was going to start, because some folks are going to say, well, how does that relate to three and a half years? And it turns up just perfectly, you know, with so many months and all these different things. The problem is we don't know exactly what the start date of these is. We don't, know, we don't know when they start. And so for us to get into the details of, okay, well, exactly what does this mean? We don't know exactly when they start, but we know that God does. And so we're left to say, man, God's in complete control of this. That's it. Man, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew more. But notice verse 12, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the end. At the 1335, at day number 1335, blessed is he who arrives at the end. Because up to this point, it's going to seem like darkness has won. It's going to seem like there is no hope. It's going to seem like the church, that the kingdom of God, that the people of God have been vanquished, that they have been conquered, that there is no future for them. It's, uh, it's almost like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Aslan is killed. And you're like, man, how is, this, how is this going to have a sequel to it? But what happens then? He's not dead forever. He's brought back to life, right? It's like you finish season one of a series and the main character, you're like, oh man, they died. Season two starts and what? They didn't actually die, right? Jason Bourne, he's actually alive because we need to make more money. You know what I'm talking about? Or John Wick, okay, I'm trying to hit all the different levels here, okay? John Wick, okay? Um, the, enemy, they, the bad guys can try as hard as they can to kill him. But we're on the fourth movie now. They still can't. He survives. You may think the two seed is going to be the 15 seed, but they're not sometimes. We see here that the church is not going to be vanquished. It is going to be victorious. And even after evil has done its worst, that we've seen all throughout the first um, 99% of this book, even after evil has done its worst, the church of Jesus remains alive. It is there. No matter the darkness, the church is gonna be there at the end. Lastly, verse number 13, I want us to see that God rewards the faithful. God rewards the faithful. We, we saw it back in verse number 12, but that word blessed or blessed, essentially what Daniel is saying is, happy is the one who endures, who remains faithful until the very end. Happy is the one who remains faithful to the very end. 
Verse 13, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. He says, go your way. He's talking to Daniel. And Daniel here is late 80s, maybe early 90s. He's pretty old. God says, just go your way. Live your life. For us today, he would say, live your life. Have your kids. Go to your job. Remain faithful in every single one of those things. Go your way. Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And we know the interpretation of that go is as you are going. Make it a regular part of your rhythm. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28. What's the original command from God? To be fruitful and multiply. He's saying the same thing. Go, spread my name to the ends of the earth. Make other image bearers, other imago Dei, other worshipers. Go, do that. Declare, proclaim, evangelize. Go on your way. Don't stop and worry about, man, what's the future going to hold? No, step into it with confidence. Knowing the evil one is not going to be victorious over you or the church. He says, go your way. I would ask you this. What is God calling you to do with your life? And that question is for the oldest person in here, which I think is about to be 90 next week. It's for the youngest person in here. What is God calling you to do with your life? And it's like, man, that's, that's really huge. I'll figure it out later. What's he calling you to do with this week? Because here Jesus tells Daniel, he says, go your way today. Not next month, not next year, not wait for a resolution time. What's he calling you to do in Locust Grove? Oh, man, I can't be as awesome as Stuart Kingsley. First of all, that's true. Secondly, Stuart Kingsley is not awesome just because he's going to Thailand. Oh, man, I can only serve God if I'm, if I'm on staff or I'm overseas or if I'm either getting paid for it or paying thousands of dollars for it. You know, either way, no. You're called to go on your way as you're going to be proclaiming and living out of the good news out of the life that you found in God the Father. What is God calling you to do with your week, with this year, in your home, in your neighborhood? In Matthew 24, Jesus shares a parable. He said, the boss of the house, he goes out for a while, he comes back. When he comes back, he has a few different types of servants, those folks who are working there in the house. Some of them have been faithful. Some of them have been foolish. When Christ returns or when he calls you home, is he going to find you faithful or foolish? Imagine for a second that I told you in four years from today, you're going to be moving to Nashville. You're moving to Nashville, and over the course of the next four years, there's a bank there. For every dollar you send ahead to this bank, that bank is going to match it with $100. You're like, that's a pretty good ROI, okay? I'll take it. Return on investment, kids. You're like, man, that's pretty good. I imagine if you knew there was a bank there that you were moving there in four years, and they were going to match every single dollar that you sent ahead with $100, you would send as much money as possible, right? Because the reward is infinite, almost, is 100 times greater, almost, which seems infinitely greater than what you would be investing there. I would, if, I, if that was me, I would keep just enough money to barely live on. I'd be like, okay, Dave Ramsey, sign me up, beans and rice and rice and beans, here we come. 
because I'm investing in something else. I wouldn't wait till I got there to say, okay, how should I start living now? How is my life going to be affected now that I'm in Nashville? No, it would affect my life today looking ahead to that time. And so it is with those of us who are longing to see Jesus face to face. So it is with those of us who are longing for the kingdom of God to be made known to those around us, even while we're here. It affects our lives today. And if we look at Daniel, he didn't even see the longing of his heart coming to fruition. Daniel's longing was to get back to Jerusalem. He never did. Daniel's longing was to worship in the temple. He never did. Daniel's longing was to see Jesus. He never did. Daniel's longing was to see the resurrection of the dead, and he still hasn't. His longing was not fulfilled, but he remained faithful. He remained faithful. And friend, if I could encourage you, I know sometimes it seems like we go through the motions or we invest and we don't see the impact or the outcome in the immediate. But can I just tell you that every single prayer that you pray for someone, every single way that you serve, every single evangelistic opportunity that you take, every conversation, every single relationship that you have for the sake of Jesus, you are investing that in the kingdom. And his portfolio is constantly growing. It's never taking a dip. It's never recessing. It's never depressing. So I would plead with you to put your stock, put your treasure in what's going to matter for all of eternity. Throughout this book, we've seen king after king, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and then we see the kings that follow Daniel through the second half of the book. We see Alexander the Great. We see all these kings that follow. We see the, the line of Antiochuses. We see Antiochus Epiphanes. We see all these kings that follow. Every single one of those kings was living for their kingdom. They were living for their power, their possessions, their pleasure. And with any of those, they failed to find life. Life is not found when we are living for and building our own kingdom. But Daniel knew where life was found. He knew where it was found. And he ran to the heart of the Father. He was looking forward to Jesus coming. That's where life is found, is in living in a better kingdom with a better king, a kingdom that is sacrificial, a kingdom of humility. That's a kingdom of love. That's a kingdom of love. Here are 10 things. So I would say God rewards the faithful. 10 things that I want us to know about the second coming of Jesus. I'm gonna fly through these. It's gonna be two separate screens. I'm gonna proof text some verses during this. So if you wanna email me later, you can. But I want us to see, here are 10 things that, while we don't know all the specifics about Jesus coming again, here's what we do know about the second coming of Jesus. 10 things that we know for sure. First of all, and I, I pray this morning this would bring us hope. First, Jesus himself will come again. That's a good place to say amen. First Thessalonians chapter four says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus himself is coming again. Secondly, we will meet him in the air. First Thessalonians, the very next verse, verse 17 says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Thirdly, all who are in the grave will hear his voice. I, I, was, uh, I was thinking even back this week, I was getting ready for the next sermon series. We looked at the book of John. Uh, and I was, as Jesus calls to Lazarus, who is there in the grave, the reason possibly, um, I'll, not only will I proof text, but I'll also pontificate, maybe assume a little bit. Uh, but I think the reason that Jesus had to call Lazarus by name is because if Jesus had said, dead, come forth, I think all the dead in their graves would have come forth at the name of Jesus. That's how powerful the word of Jesus is. But he says, Lazarus, you come forth. At the end of time, though, all who are in the grave will hear his voice. John 5, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Number four, he will return when we are least expecting it. Matthew 24, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Fifthly, he will return to the Mount of Olives. This, by the way, is why if you go to any graveyard in America, in most graveyards around the world who have some sort of Judeo-Christian background, the tombstones are facing the east. So if you're like me, if you're directionally challenged, just find a graveyard and you know which way to go, all right? Uh, Zechariah chapter 14 says this, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the Mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Number six, he will destroy the Antichrist. He will destroy the Antichrist. The sixth thing we know about Christ's coming. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The seventh thing we know is that he will gather all nations and judge them. He will gather all nations and judge them. We just saw this. But Matthew chapter 25 talks about the sheep and the goats. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Number eight, he will then recreate the earth. He will then recreate the earth. Revelation 21, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Notice he doesn't say, I'm making all new things. He's not saying, I'm going to destroy the earth, and then I'm going to replace it with something else. I'm not making all, things, all new things. I'm making all things new. He's going to recreate the earth. Number nine, every knee shall bow. Philippians chapter two says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And lastly, he will eat and drink with us again. Luke 22, this is Christ talking and instituting the Lord's Supper, communion there. He says, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And with that, Christ invites them into a better kingdom. He says, you've been worshiping the kings of this world. I'm a better king. You've been loving the things of this world. Experience a true and better love. Jesus Christ was broken for us so that we could be made whole in him. Jesus here essentially is saying, I am going to be broken for you and instead of you. And we've seen this all throughout Daniel. He says, because you are greatly loved. Friend, however you came in this morning, if you're like, man, nobody cares about me, nobody loves me, so I'm gonna pursue love, I'm gonna try to find it, all these other things. Can I just tell you this morning, you are created in the image of a good and faithful and loving God. Since he created you in his image, he loves you. He loves you. Not because of anything that you have done, could do, or will ever do, but because of his character and nature, you are greatly loved. And his love was most clearly displayed on the cross. It was at that moment he identified with our sin, the perfect son of God, the perfect lamb who had lived perfectly for us. He identifies with us. He became sin for us. He was put into the ground for three days and then he was raised to life by the power of the spirit. He was here for 40 days and then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he is today, still continuing, going on his way, interceding for us. That is our hope. That's the hope that Daniel had. That's the hope that we have this morning is that we are called, ushered in, invited in to a better love than anything that this world has to offer. So that's the invitation for us this morning. If you have never placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, I would plead with you this morning that you would fall on the mercy of God anew. You can be made righteous because Jesus Christ was broken for you. And when God the Father looks at you, he won't see your sinfulness, your selfishness, your pride, your anger. He'll see the blood of Jesus as righteous. That's our hope. So this morning we have a few tables set up around the room. This is a chance for us to purify ourselves, like Daniel talks about here. This is a chance for us to look forward to the day when Christ is going to return and partake in this meal again with us. He says, I'm not going to partake until I'm with y'all. So right here, we get to celebrate the presence of Jesus in a spiritual way as we take these physical elements and we dip the bread into the juice. So this is a chance for us to repent of our sin, for us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, and for us to rejoice that we are going to be with him anew as he makes all things new one day. This table this morning is for those who are broken, is for those who are longing, is for those who are hopeful, for those who are weary or troubled or needy. If you have everything together in your life, you don't need this. And if you are unwilling to repent of your sin, 
And if you are unwilling to let go of what you're putting your hope and your faith in, this is not for you. But if this morning you say, man, I long for Jesus more than anything else, and I'm moving in that direction, then this is for you. So I would invite you to come and let's rejoice at what he has done. Let's rejoice in his presence and let us be blessed by Christ. Family, you are invited to join me even now.